Does making the ask, asking for what you want when closing the sale, make you a little uneasy? Maybe a little self-conscious or uncomfortable because you feel you're being salesy. My next guest says he has a simple, easy, and zero-pressure way to achieve the perfect close that's successful 95% of the time. He's James Muir. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. James Muir helps you close more opportunities and accelerate sales to higher levels while being genuinely authentic and true to yourself. How great is that? He's a professional sales trainer, speaker, and coach, and is vice president at NextGen Healthcare. During the course of his 30-plus year career, he has shattered records as both a field representative and manager. He has sold to and spoken for the largest names in technology and healthcare, including HCA, Tenet, Catholic Healthcare, Banner, Dell, IBM, and others. And as you might imagine, with all that experience, he's got a lot of practical perspective on what works in real life and what doesn't. You might say he's a graduate of the School of Hard Knocks. He's no nonsense. I love that, and that's why he's here. And now, this is the best part. He has distilled all of these experiences into a new book called The Perfect Close, The Secret to Closing Sales. It shows sales and service professionals a clear and simple approach to increasing your close rate and accelerating sales. He says it's zero pressure and that it just involves two questions and successful 95% of the time. Wow, this could be a really short interview. We'll see. Let's bring him on now. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, James. Thanks, Hannah. It's great to be on. How exciting. A new book, The Perfect Close, The Secret to Closing Sales. And I understand it reached number one on Amazon. That's right. Just last week, we hit number one. So uh, we're a best-selling book and a best-selling author now. Wonderful, wonderful. Is this your first book, James? It is. This is my first one. Others are in the works, but uh, we still have a lot of work to do on this one before we go to the next one. Understood. Understood. So how does it feel to be a first-time author? Are people coming up to you at airports asking for autographs? It has not happened that way. But on social media, it's a lot more like that, okay. where people are uh, people that have met me over the years have uh, reached out. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I wish you all the best and lots of success with that. Now, let's talk about making the ask, the close. You have worked with hundreds of sales professionals over the years, maybe over a 1,000, and these are sales pros, yet they still need some help in this area of closing. What is it about making the ask that's so difficult? You know, I think a lot of people have the wrong idea of what selling is, and from that foundational mistake that they make, that they think it's about persuasion or coercion, they it, it, it naturally the techniques that they use to try to advance the sale end up being dysfunctional, and so once you realize that all you're helping the the client do is is make a decision, you're just facilitating a decision, then a lot of that stress just disappears. Uh, but when they don't know that, they get it, there's this awkward moment where you feel like you're pressuring the customer, and statistically, what happens is when when salespeople or professionals, business people, entrepreneurs, when they feel that, they actually don't do anything. Statistically, that's what happens is rather than ask it wrong, it's more common that they just don't ask at all. So is that what you see the biggest mistake being, that people just don't ask? 
It has, statistically, it is the biggest problem. Um, it, to just get, put some numbers behind that, um, about 50 to 90% of every encounter, every sales encounter of any kind, ends up with no commitment being asked for at all. It, di- it differs per industry a little bit, but I would say on average, for, you know, across all industries, it's about 60% of meetings just don't have any commitment asked uh, taking place in them. That's an interesting number and a scary number for businesses that are trying to sell something. I mean, that's what they're there. Otherwise, they're called charities. So you phrased this very interestingly. You called it a commitment. Let's talk about that. What do you mean when you say making a commitment? Well, why don't we step back just a little bit and uh, talk, just help people reframe this mentally. When people reach out to us and they're taking on something new or they're trying to make a change in some way, um, what, what they're trying to do is they would like to have a coach to help them move forward at whatever pace is best for them. And it, the, the key for us is just to help them uh, make those commitments uh, and help them get there, right? So we're really being facilitative. It's really more about leadership and coaching than it is about sales, if you think of it that way. And I think a lot of your listeners would probably appreciate that. And so all we're trying to do is help the customers be uh, better in some way. We're, we're helping them make some form of positive change. And most of us can do a better job of uh, coaching and serving clients than we're doing today. And so that's the commitment part. It's really commitment in the same sense that a coach would, would commit an athlete to become better. But again, it's important that we don't turn on the pressure so hard because we, we want to move at a pace that's ready for the customer. Now, that's interesting talking about pacing. So if I read between the lines, is it possible that because we're not paying attention to pacing, we may be asking for the purchase order when in reality, the client or the prospect is much earlier in their decision making. They're still kind of getting up out of the chair and we're asking them to run a marathon. Yep, you're exactly right. And, and that's a very common phenomenon. And probably the core of that or the crux of that problem is that the entrepreneur or the salesperson is thinking about what's in it for them. And so they're trying to move the process forward in a more selfish way than the, the customer is ready for. And so uh, just if, if we just pull back just a little bit and we pace our ask in a way that allows the customer to travel at their own speed, then you end up with a much higher success ratio. And, and you don't get this awkward moment where you make an ask that they're not ready for yet and the only answer they can give us is no. So what's the best way to pace? Well, uh, what we outline in the perfect close is the best practice for that. And so there's basically just a two-question approach uh, to asking for commitments that we outlined there. And uh, I'll give you the – there's five variations of it, but the very simplest variation is where um, we ask them if it makes sense to do something. So uh, before I give you the detail on that, it's kind of important before we go into any meeting that we have an idea of what we want the outcome to be. And so we would call that the ideal advance, right? And then we will want a couple alternatives because our customer may not be ready for that one. So we want maybe a couple of alternatives that continue to move the process forward, but aren't necessarily the whole enchilada that we were going for. So with that in mind, let me give you the the question. So we would just ask for, does it make sense for us to X? And in that scenario, X is our ideal advance. So an example would be, does it make sense for us to schedule an assessment to see where our best options are? And that example, the assessment would be the X. And there's really only two things they can say to that. They're going to say yes, or they're going to say no. If they say, yeah, it does make sense, then great. We're off to the races. We just got our ideal advance. You know, get your calendar out. Um, the flip is that is that they say no. And so then we would just use the second question. 
And the simplest form of this is where we say, um, what's a good next step then? So we would just ask the customer what they feel is a good next step. And what will happen in 90% of the cases is they will suggest a very logical um, advance that is appropriate for where they're at. And so that gets us right to the right pacing that you were talking about before. All right. Well, how about this? How do you know if the customer or the prospect isn't just being guarded because they don't want to be stalked by a salesperson versus genuinely interested and really ready to make uh, a next step or pull out the calendar and, and talk about another meeting? That's an excellent question. And so the way we gauge it is uh, we look, we're going to look at their action and their energy. So the, the question does a couple of things for us. One of the things it does is it moves the, the cell forward in a very non-confrontational way that paces it. But at the same time, it also tells us where they're at um, mentally in the process. And we can use that to qualify whether it's worth our time uh, to invest in it. And so the way that you do that is that you you gauge their response, the thing that we're going to ask them for, by how much energy or how much commitment is involved in it. And if they're not willing to make any form of commitment, then that tells us something about it. And what we want to do in that scenario is just throw our intent out on the table. You know, we would just say, you know, it doesn't seem like this is really something that you're um, enthusiastically going after right now. Um, am I off base? Right. And then let's just get some feedback from them for them to tell us. Again, we want to make it a very safe environment for them to tell us the truth. We're not trying to manipulate them. We're not trying to um, persuade them. We're just trying to understand where they're at and then move forward at a pace that's ready for them. Well, that's the one question. What's the second question? Well, the second question is the follow-up piece. So the first question is, does it make sense to, and then we're going to suggest something. And then the, the second question is, if they say no, what's a good next step? Now, there are a couple of variations that we can add to that. For example, we, you know, we plan an ideal advance and we plan those alternatives. So let's just say that they say no. We could just suggest one of our alternates. And a good example of that, we call this the fallback. So we could say, you know, other clients at this stage very often want to do why. Does it make sense for us to do that? And then essentially what we're doing, we're not making them think of what the next you know, step might be. We're suggesting what that is based on you know, a logical process that's right for whatever that business is. Now, that, that same thing can be used uh, in another way as, as an add-on. So if we were to say, hey, does it make sense for us to X, and they say yes, we can do it the reverse way. We can say, well, you know, clients at this stage also very often do this other thing. Does it make sense for us to do that? And, and that's an example of adding it on. Again, all we're really doing is we're matching the pace that the customer is ready for. And those secondary questions that let us do that. Well, what I find fascinating about what you're describing here is it sounds like you're trying to have them do most of the talking. Absolutely. They do do most of the talking. And I think maybe it's worth spending a second on to talk about the, the nuance or the difference between does it make sense and will you buy it? Those are very different questions. If we um, ask them, does it make sense, really at its core, we're just asking a timing question. We're not saying do this or will you buy my stuff. We're really saying does it make sense for us to do something timing-wise. Now, um, we haven't asked them yet. Uh, if they say no, they haven't said no, I won't buy. And so that leaves us on emotionally much higher ground than if we had said, hey, do you want to get this or do you want – like even just the assessment. Will you do an assessment? If they said no – that leaves us in an emotionally lower state than if we just asked if the timing was right. And so it's very subtle, but a very important difference uh, in asking them because it feels very different to the customers. It feels like you're just trying to help them out. 
and, and because of that, they will continue to share information with you and be very um, open, whereas as soon as they start perceiving that we're, we're trying to pressure them in some way, they tend to close up. Sure, of course. We've all been there, you know, because so many sales professionals, actually, I hesitate to call them professionals, people that sell <laughs> don't do a very good job. Yeah. Better phrase, and, better phrase. Yeah, and I'm curious as to how did you come across this technique? I mean, what you're saying makes perfect sense. It's a collaborative problem-solving effort. Like, you've got a problem. I'm here to, to help you solve it. Maybe it's with my product or service. Maybe it's somebody else's. But I'm, I'm here to help you think through the process and help you evaluate to determine what's right for you. So why is this so hard, and why has it been such a secret? Well, um, it's not a secret amongst everyone. I mean, there's a lot of people out there, but I myself discovered it because I got drafted into sales from a technical position. I worked in accounts receivable as a domain expert there, and I would sometimes go out with the salespeople and help them. And then we opened up in a region where they needed both a salesperson and an operations person, and so I got drafted into sales. And uh, very, I was very anal retentive. I, I had created this whole schematic of what the process was, and I'd literally give it to customers, which didn't always go over well. I'd say, you know, you do this, and I'm going to do this. You know, it just shows you how process-oriented I was. But I suffered from this problem where I either wouldn't know what to say, right? Uh, and so I either wouldn't ask at all, which is t- what I tended to do, or I would ask and I'd ask it in the wrong way and it would put them off. So I got to thinking there must be a way to do this, you know, and, but, but still remembering to ask at the right stage. And, uh, and that's where this uh, sort of the impetus of does it make sense came from. Got it. So what prompted you then to write the book? Well, uh, later in my career, I began to train. And so I worked with a lot of domain experts. These are essentially non-salespeople that know, uh, you know a lot of information about a given area. For example, you're a legal domain expert. But they are sometimes put in sales situations. And they, most of them admitted to me that that's actually the, that's the part of the job they hated the worst uh, because they wouldn't know what to say. And uh, the same thing is true for new salespeople. New salespeople tend to not know. And there's a ton of really bad information on the Internet out there. And, uh, and so I, I saw that need, and so the book is essentially that information distilled so that I can train uh, these domain experts uh, so that they feel very comfortable. It's very natural. There's zero pressure. It's totally non-confrontational. All you're trying to do is help. And you just need to replace that thinking that sales is persuasion and replace it with selling is really just serving. Selling is serving. Well, that's something that should be on a bumper sticker. <laughs> that's a good idea. You could add that to your book as an extra little giveaway when you do book signings at bookstores. <laughs> right. There you go. Selling is serving. Selling is serving. Yeah. Most people don't think of it that way. It, it really it's counterintuitive, but yet I can see that it's become incredibly effective. You say you've got a 95% close rate. The reason that it's 95% is because we're not really – we're not really asking them, will you do something? They can't really reject it. They can only reject the timing of it. But, the, but they, the best part is that they can see clearly where we're headed, right? We're telegraphing what we're asking for. But we're not asking, right? We're saying, does it make sense for us to do this at this point? And if they say, oh, yeah, that's, a good, that's perfectly appropriate, great. If not, then we'll say, all right, well, if the timing's not right for that now, you know, what is, what is it time for right now? Or we can even suggest what, the, what we think the timing would be uh, good for right now. 
And uh, that just leaves us emotionally on just much, much higher ground. It's one of those things where if you've ever tried the old ways uh, that we were taught, you know, these manipulative, like alternate choice or assumptive clothes or all these different methods that are out there, uh, it just leaves you in such a higher state. And, and um, the net effect is the customers really value you as a consultant or as an individual because they see you as a facilitator as opposed to a salesperson. Well, as I'm hearing you talk, James, and especially the what you shared about your career path being very process-oriented, this has been sort of a massive transition for you career-wise, hasn't it? Very much so. But uh, I still I still work in accounts as well quite a lot uh, these days because uh, of my work with NextGen Healthcare, and uh, and I work with you know toe-to-toe with salespeople also. But again. It's really the same thing. Very often we have to ask for sensitive information uh, in, in accounts receivable if we're going to outsource. And uh, so we just throw our intent out there that, you know, the only reason we need that information is because we're trying to help. And, uh, you know, if it doesn't make sense for them to share that with us at this point, then that's okay. Um, and then we would just ask them, you know, what does make sense at this point? So uh, it's definitely been a different, uh, but I haven't really veered too much from it because I, before I thought I was helping. And really that's what sales is, is helping. Well, a lot of professions are helping. That's why we, we do this. We want to make the world a little bit better. We want to make our clients and our, our customers' lives a little bit easier with our products or services so that there's a net gain all the way around. So all good. I'm curious. I mean, we, we've heard about how you came to write The Perfect Close, The Secret to Closing Sales. But I'm also curious about your your career path and whether you have a, an, an influencer that that kind of got you on this path or has influenced your thinking or whether this was all just ad hoc. Is there one influencer that you could share with us today? Oh my goodness. Yes. The book is dedicated to Mahan Khalsa, M-A-H-A-N-C-H-A-L-S-A, Mahan Khalsa. And he's the one that taught me that intent matters more than technique. And in fact, if, if I could leave just a single thought, that, that would be the thought is that intent matters more than technique. I spend the first few chapters of the book just talking about why intent is so important and the the, the psychology behind it and the studies uh, behind it. And uh, the reasoning for that is that when we first get in an interaction with a customer, they, they first try to judge what our intent is, and then they judge whether or not we're capable of executing that intent. And in sales, uh, it's pretty obvious that, especially in a complex situation, uh, because there's no question that if the seller wanted to, they can take advantage of the buyer because the, the situation is, uh, or the solution is so complex, the, the buyer can never really fully understand all the dimensions of it until they're into it. And for that reason, they, uh, they weigh intent far more than competency in selling situations. And so throwing our intent out there and letting them understand that we are trying to help them um, is the single biggest and best thing we can do. And we start there in the book because, you know, you could learn the technique, but if your intention is flawed, uh, your customer will pick up on that, right? And then in most cases, once they've decided that you're being self-serving, the show's off. Um, you know, in a few cases, if your product's so spectacular, they'll buy it, even if you're, you know, terribly uh, misaligned. But for the most part, they'll end it because there's other options that they have and they would rather work with someone that they know they can trust because they don't want to be taken advantage of. And so we, we go on at some length actually about the importance of that, but it all can be boiled down to just that one statement, which is intent matters more than technique. You know, in fact, the flip side of that would be you could execute the technique terribly, 
But if the customer understands that your intent is in the right place, they'll keep giving you chances. They'll keep giving you a, a shot at helping them out because they can see that that's what you're trying to do. Interesting. What's really fascinating, too, is how all these little pieces of the puzzle fit together and contribute to your message about the perfect close and serving. So we're definitely going to have a link to your new book, The Perfect Close, the Amazon bestseller that just uh, was released, The Secret to Closing Sales, on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And I encourage our listeners to check it out. Buy it for yourself, your team, as a gift for friends, for their birthday, holiday, (laughs) or just because you love them and you want them to be successful with their sales. So get The Perfect Close by James Muir. Any parting thoughts before we go, James? You know, just that uh, if they want to reach out, they can certainly go to my website, which is com. If they liked that part we were talking about at the beginning about the, the myths around selling, the dysfunctional things that they should be avoiding, there is a report there that they can get. It doesn't cost anything that will tell them what the top seven are and then the statistics around um, the, why they're myths, why they, you know, it's not really what they think. Um, so that's available for them too. And uh, I have enjoyed our time on the, on the call. So, um, Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time and sharing your insights and debunking at least some of these myths because sales, just there's so much baggage associated with it, and it's not always positive. So being able to put things in a good light and be more important, move businesses forward because that's what it's all about is a good thing. So I thank you for that. I thank you for having written The Perfect Close. We'll have the link on businessconfidentialradio.com. And thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today. You can get more information about today's guest and the show notes on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media. I'd love to hear from you stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more business information and inside scoop you need to succeed in your business. Till then, 